Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. My San Diego Padres are taking on the Dodgers. We've got Braves, Phillies, Mariners, Astros, Cleveland, and New York. All of the playoff action is here, and BetOnline has you covered with all the props, parlays, odds, and promos for this week's action. Head over to BetOnline and use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 100% welcome bonus. That's right, 100% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, everybody. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you. For stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. This is Wired Up, episode 126. Here on the Take It Easy podcast, we've been doing Wired Ups since January 1st, 2020. Not every Sunday, or I guess Saturday in this case, but every weekend, every now and again, Wired Up began as a way to talk about college football without having to talk about college football on Tuesday. It has evolved as time has gone along during the pandemic to just be another version of our podcast and all sorts of fun content and conversations. But Wired Up is specifically for college football sometimes, and uh, this is very much one of those days because we're just going to talk for 20 or 30 minutes about Tennessee beating Alabama because Tennessee beat Alabama. And If we're lucky, sometime here in the next 25 to 30 minutes of recording at 5.42 West Coast time on a Saturday before the Padres and the Dodgers play an epic Game 4, of which I'm going to invest too much of my emotional stability into, but do it willingly and acknowledging full well that I'm the person who says we invest way too much of our emotional stability into sports. I'm about to do that with the Padres in about an hour, but hopefully sometime in this Alabama-Tennessee postgame show, we'll get a conclusion to Seattle and Houston live on the air, because Seattle and Houston, in a Elimination game for the Mariners and the first home playoff game in Seattle since 2001 is 0-0 in the 13th inning, a game that has gone on five hours, which is somehow longer than Tennessee and Alabama. Tennessee-Alabama was a long game. Houston and Seattle started about 27 minutes after Tennessee and Bama, and somehow Tennessee-Bama finished before Houston and Seattle, even though Tennessee and Bama was like the longest college football game I can remember. But anyways, let's talk about this game, and part of it is going to be just a very, like, some of it's going to be X's and O's, some of it's going to be talking about Tennessee as a program, and some of it's going to be a macro-level college football conversation. I want to start off with the game itself, and quite frankly, a, a big part of this podcast is just me wanting to recite the drive charts for the Tennessee Volunteers, because it is magnificent. It is magnificent. And for those of you who aren't the biggest college football fans, for context here, Tennessee football had a national championship in 1998 by catching lightning in a bottle 
because they happened to have Peyton Manning as their quarterback, who would go on to be one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport. They got lucky that Peyton Manning chose to play for their school. They built stability around him. And because of that, Tennessee ended up winning a national championship in 1998. And ever since then, Tennessee has been just another SEC team. There were a couple of years where Tennessee was really good, like 2006, 2007 Tennessee. For the most part, I think actually in 2015, they got up to ninth in the country at one point with a Hail Mary against Georgia, but it wasn't the Georgia team like it is now. It was a Georgia team that was ranked like 25th in the country. Tennessee has had moments, and for the past two decades, they've been just another college football program, and they haven't beat Alabama since 2006. Alabama is Alabama, and that's Nick Saban got there in 2008, and ever since then, Alabama has beaten the Tennessee Volunteers every single year that Nick Saban has been the coach because Alabama is this amazing dynasty, and Tennessee is a team that doesn't really have a whole lot to stand on relative to the dynastic program of Alabama. It just sucks that they happen to be rivals because Tennessee loses every year. This year's Tennessee team got a transfer quarterback named Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech, and he's amazing, and their offense puts up like 49 points a game and gives up 40 points, kind of like a Big 12 offense, which is part of Josh Heupel's background. He also was the coach of those UCF teams after Scott Frost left, and it seemed like Josh Heupel was kind of carrying the UCF team from what Scott Frost had built because they still had Mackenzie Milton, they still had Gabriel Davis, they still had a bunch of those prospects that were three-star guys recruited by Scott Frost who ended up turning into future NFL players. And this is the broad context around Tennessee, okay? Tennessee is undefeated and they were ranked sixth in the country because when you go undefeated through six games with an SEC schedule, you are probably one of the 10 best teams in the country. And... Tennessee scores a ton of points, and they give up a ton of points. All of that to say, going into this game, here's the drive chart for Tennessee. That's the Tennessee broader context here. Here's Tennessee's drive chart for this game. Touchdown, 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 punt, muffed by Alabama, recovered by Tennessee. Touchdown, turnover on downs, Hail Mary to end the half that almost gets complete, like the ball gets tipped into the air and it's in that weird space that no one ever wants to see a Hail Mary get to if you're on defense, which is the ball didn't immediately go to the ground. It just happened to get batted away by a Bama player. Like almost completed Hail Mary, turnover on downs to start the half, touchdown, interception, touchdown, fumble six, fumble recovered by Bama for touchdown, Tennessee touchdown, 15-second field goal drive after mismanagement by Alabama. Again, everyone's seen the game. It was crazy, all that stuff. 1,000 yards of offense, 90, oh, wait, sorry, 101 points, 1,000 yards of offense, like Buffalo, Kansas City in the playoffs last year all over again. It was chaotic. It was fun. Alabama, by the way, if you want an explanation for why Alabama is the team it is this year, it's actually relatively simple. Like, there's no one explanation for why a team is good or is bad, especially a dynastic team like Alabama, if you're looking for an explanation like why Alabama missed the playoff in 2019, Tua Tungavailoa got injured and Alabama was playing in a year where LSU happened to build a flash-in-the-pan team that was so far and away above 
Alabama. If you want an explanation for why in 2018 Clemson beat the brakes off of Alabama in the national championship, like 42-16, not a lot of great explanations for that. I'm sure there are smarter college football people than I who can explain it. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. For Alabama, they set a school record for turnovers under Nick Saban, and that record was broken previously in the Texas game, which you may remember that they almost lost earlier in the season. Alabama broke the record under of a Nick Saban coach team for penalties in two and a half quarters against Texas. They broke the penalty number record with three minutes to play in the third quarter. This game, they broke that record with 17 penalties in the game against Tennessee. And Alabama had a negative turnover margin going into the game, and Alabama was plus three in this game, which is a pretty simple explanation for how Alabama was still in the game in the first place, despite the fact that they don't have as many four-and-a-half and five-star recruits as they've had in past years. The transfer portal has been a way to even the playing field, relatively speaking, when it comes to the four-stars who fill Alabama's roster. Obviously, they got... Uh, Toa Toa, I believe, is the transfer linebacker for Bama. So they've done a good job in the transfer portal at the same time. The availability doesn't necessarily mean Bama's losing players. It just means things are a little more spread out within the four-star ranks. Bama's still getting all the four-and-a-half and and five-star players that they've had in the past. A combination of injuries and certain positions on defense that are weaker for Bama allows Tennessee, who has a really, really good offense, to, again, I'll read this again, go touchdown, 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 recover a muffed punt, score another touchdown, turn the ball over on downs, almost complete a Hail Mary to end the first half, then go turnover on downs, touchdown, interception, touchdown, fumble for fumble recovered by Alabama for a touchdown, touchdown drive by Tennessee, which, by the way, was a touchdown drive that had a pass interference on fourth down, that ended up being a pick for Alabama going back to the Tennessee 10-yard line. A lot of things had to go wrong for Alabama is basically the, the point there. But the ones you can point to are they commit a shit ton of penalties this year and their defense is, I think, ranked 31st in college football while their offense when Bryce Young is playing is ranked, I think, 8th, or I'm sorry, not 8th, is ranked 2nd or 3rd in college football. They are a really, really good offense and a defense that is good and not great relative to past Alabama teams. And so Alabama has a scare against Texas A&M without Bryce Young, and they coulda, shoulda, woulda lost to Texas, and now they have that Tennessee game. But what's amazing is that Tennessee put up all those points and left points on the table because of all the turnover on downs they committed, because of a Hail Mary that almost came true, because they had just a a mess-up play. Like, if you watch the fumble six in a 42-42 game, it was... Ball gets handed off on a read option. Running back thinks the quarterback has it. Quarterback thinks the running back has it. Ball just drops to the ground. No one goes for it, and Bama scores a touchdown. And it was a moment where, across all of the history of watching Alabama, I point to that and I say, yeah, that's the moment where Alabama comes back. Because I've seen Bama go down 7 to 14 points against a team before. Not quite going down like 17 like they did against Tennessee, 
but I've seen Bama go down 14. I've seen Bama go down big against teams like Tennessee, against Arkansas, against Texas A&M, against Ole Miss. I've seen Alabama go down, and I've seen Alabama absolutely charge back because when players get tired, the four and a half and five stars will overtake the three and a half and five star or three and a half and four stars on the other side of the field. And Tennessee has a very good team. Again, they're if Tennessee were a slight if Tennessee were a slightly lesser team this year, they would have lost that game because no matter how many good things they would have done, they would have been trying to overcome 17 points that Alabama was guaranteed to have on them. And Alabama didn't have that in this game and Tennessee ends up winning and it was awesome for Tennessee to win. But when they fumble that football at the goal line in an absolutely chaotic game, the idea that Tennessee would not only outscore Bama 10 to nothing the rest of the game, but Alabama would do the the Bama thing and just move right down the field. I talked about this after the Texas game. I'm always so amazed when Alabama can go down 14 and then just move right down the field and score a touchdown. I'm always amazed when Kansas City has a third and 11 and they convert it like it's nothing. Alabama and tennis, uh, Alabama since uh, Tua Tungavailoa got there, Jalen Hurts had a little bit of this, but he was not the answer. But basically, Alabama used to be a team that was built on defenses and had like A.J. McCarron and Blake Sims and uh, a guy who literally sells insurance in Alabama now. His name's Jake Coker. Literally sells insurance in Alabama now. Won a national championship playing quarterback because they were a team built on defense that only allowed seven points, and so their offense only scored 13. And that's what college football was in the 2000s, in like a, their own version of a dead ball era, especially in the SEC. And when all of the conferences had their own distinct styles, and now that doesn't really exist anymore. And what I thought was super interesting is Alabama in that game misses the game-winning field goal and does the thing that I always expect, which is they have three minutes to play. They have three timeouts. Alabama will get the last possession of the game and they will kick a 30-yard field goal, especially because Tennessee's defense is not good and was not good on the last drive of the game. And what happened was Alabama got into relative field goal range, like they wanted to get one more first down with 40 seconds to play, and they went pass, 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 kick a 50-yard field goal, and left 15 seconds on the clock. And that's a strategy that gets a lot of coaches in trouble. I don't know if that's a Saban thing or a Bill O'Brien thing, but when it's Alabama, we just come to expect that they're going to be able to convert that. And I thought it was remarkable to watch as it was coming down to the end, because that game was absolutely chaotic and fun. And again, touchdown, 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 muff punt, touchdown, turnover on downs, End of half, almost Hail Mary, turnover on downs, touchdown interception, touchdown fumble six, touchdown 15-second field goal drive, win the game, storm the field, tear down the goalpost, greatest win in the history of Tennessee football. And I know they won a national championship, probably still the greatest win in the history of Tennessee football. Even as all of that is happening, I'm still surprised when Alabama has the strategy of, yes, we are in long field goal range, 
yes, we need to convert one more time. The clock management ends up being a loss, and at the you know the clock management is the reason they lose at the very end. This was just a coin flip game at the end because of how many chaotic plays there were, and Alabama defense having 17 penalties and allowing 52 points against undoubtedly like one of the best offenses in college football. And Hendon Hooker is going to be invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I'm not going to say he'll he'll win it, but Hendon Hooker will be invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And it's a combination of multiple things. Tennessee has a really, really, really good offense. And Alabama gave up 52 points, committed 17 penalties, and clock management cost them at the end of the game. And by the way, Alabama's defense, as we talked about, they forced four turnovers and only committed one on offense. It was just a chaos game. And we're always used to Alabama finishing on the right side of those. Because remember, I was nine years old when Alabama won their first championship in 2010 with Nick Saban. In 12 years, they've won six championships. Every other year, Alabama wins the championship. And by the way, they've lost in three national championship games, plus the kick six year. They were number one in the country until another chaos play. Like the kick six is the only other thing I can point to and say chaos game that doesn't go Alabama's way. Because it's the thing, I know Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are the classic comps, but it's the thing that they talked about in the Belichick book all the time, which is let your opponent make the mistake. If you stay even keeled, if you just do your job, your opponent will make the mistake that you can capitalize on. And it's never going to be perfect. It's just going to be better than anything else in terms of game management or better than everyone else when it comes to game management. We saw 2013, like chaos plays happen. Alabama's kicking team falls apart and uh, Auburn takes it 109 yards back to the house. Okay, this one, it is, we have first and 10 past the Tennessee 40 and we can't move the ball against a defense that doesn't have a good secondary and is blitzing every time, but we can't take the sack so we keep taking incompletions. And Tennessee just blitzing on every one of those downs and forcing an incompletion every time, that's a great strategy and one that shouldn't have worked out, and yet it did because Alabama's not perfect and Alabama's going to mess those up every now and again, and then Alabama's going to have their Buffalo Bills Patrick Mahomes moment where after the poor clock management, you leave 15 seconds and Tennessee somehow wins it in regulation. Uh, it was chaos. It was a chaos finish, a chaos game, and uh, and Alabama loses, and we're just so used to Alabama winning those that... It was just weird to see it happen. Now for the macro college football conversation. Uh, This one is kind of as simple as just flip Tennessee and Alabama in the standings. Just, Just make Tennessee number three, make Alabama number six, and we'll go our separate ways. If Tennessee had lost and Alabama had won, they should have stayed at three and six. Just, that's fine. Just flip Tennessee and Alabama. Keep everything else the same, because that's basically where it should go. This game was a coin toss, and rare is it that the coin toss doesn't go Alabama's way. Like, if you watch the Alabama-Texas A&M game last year, and we did a post-game show after that one as well, if you watch that Alabama-Texas A&M game, Texas A&M had them beat. Texas A&M had them beat, and then at the very end of the game, Alabama tried to manifest a comeback, and Texas A&M won on a last-second field goal. This one, coin toss game, and Tennessee had them dominated. 
then they ended up having stupid moments where, again, there's a strip six going back for Bama, a pass interference that would have sealed the game. Bama had so many options to win this one, and they ended up dropping the ball a bunch of times. And this is, by the way, if it's not Alabama, this is just something that happens. It's just weird that it's Alabama. But basically, flip Alabama and Tennessee in the standings. And what... Alabama is shooting for now in the macro conversation of college football is what I call the triangle of death. And basically, I'm going to use this conversation with the Pac-12 in in talking about the triangle of death or the triangle of mediocrity, whatever you want to call it. Um, In the Pac-12, there are three good teams. Sorry, Oregon. There are three good teams. There is Utah, there is USC, and there is UCLA. And we anticipate that those teams will be able to beat all the other Pac-12 teams because all the other Pac-12 teams are very much not as good as USC, UCLA, and Utah this year. Except Oregon. Again, apologies, Oregon. You might be a chaos team that ends up ruining everything, but you're also in a first year with a new coach and lost to Georgia by 48 points. USC, UCLA, and Utah are in a cycle where one of them could make the college football playoff if they have a perfect season. Now, Utah already lost to Florida, so they're kind of out of the conversation. USC almost fucked up against Oregon State. And UCLA, who's currently undefeated, will probably lose to Oregon. Probably going to mess it up at some point. But all of them may have one loss up to this point. But say one of them's undefeated. Say USC's undefeated. Say uh, UCLA's undefeated. And say Utah's undefeated. None of them are as good as any of the teams in the SEC or the Big 12. Basically, I'm sorry, I'm treating USC, UCLA, and Utah. I'm treating the Pac-12 like they're a group of five team. For all intents and purposes, let's say the Pac-12 is a group of five conference. They are the equivalent of the AAC, and USC is the equivalent of last year's Cincinnati team. Sorry, not sorry. It's just it's kind of how it rolls at this point. You are basically a group of five team. The triangle of death is USC and Utah and UCLA, who all have to play each other this year because they all play in the same division. They all go one and one. Last week, UCLA beat Utah. Utah going into the USC game is a four-point favorite. I'm looking at the score right now, and, and USC's up by 14 points. So USC might end up winning that game rather handily. You have USC losing to Utah, and then USC beats UCLA. All of those teams end up going one and one. Will any of them make the playoff? No, they will not. Because you have to go undefeated in the Pac-12 in order to make the playoffs. So, sorry, USC, Utah, UCLA, you all beat each other up, and all of you will miss the playoff. And this is the joke I've been saying about the Pac-12 for years, is that the Pac-12 teams all beat each other up in one cycle of mediocrity, and they've had two playoff teams in the eight years that the college football playoff has existed. And for reference, the AAC has had one. The Pac-12 and the AAC are pretty close to the same conference. And about half of the teams in the Pac-12 are worse than teams in the AAC. Uh, I'll name them off the top of my head. Cal, Stanford, Washington State, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. All of those teams are worse than AAC teams. So half the conference is group of five bottom feeders or group of five mid-level teams. And there's a handful of good teams that happen to have a bunch of money. And 
what happens there is that if they all beat each other up, none of them will make the playoff. How does this relate to Alabama? Alabama is rooting for a triangle of death like this. Alabama just lost to Tennessee. Tennessee is undefeated. They will probably be undefeated. Sorry, Blake Jude, that after beating Louisiana Monroe and Kentucky and South Carolina and Vanderbilt on the rest of their schedule. They will beat all of those teams. That means they are 11-0. and 0. What Alabama is rooting for is triangle of death where Alabama loses to Tennessee, Tennessee loses to Georgia, Georgia loses to Alabama, Alabama is a one-loss conference champion, and they will make the college football playoff exactly like what happened last year when they lost to Texas A&M. Texas A&M wasn't actually that good, so they were never in a position to make the playoff. Alabama ended up making the college football playoff by beating Georgia in the SEC championship game and being a one-loss conference champion. Now, if they play Tennessee again, power to them, they kind of just need to win the SEC championship against whoever they play. Um, If Tennessee ends up being undefeated and makes the conference championship game, Bama might be a favorite in that game. I don't know. But Bama can't lose another game this season, which they probably won't. Bama will be a 10-point favorite in every game they play, except the Ole Miss game, which is all of a sudden now a must-watch game. Also, another thing that's exciting, Tennessee and Georgia play the week that Blake Jude and I meet up in Arizona, or meet up in in Utah for Arizona and Utah, and Caller sponsoring our trip to Utah, where we'll also get some Tennessee and Georgia coverage. But anyways... Alabama's rooting for Tennessee to lose to Georgia so that they can play in the SEC championship game and Bama goes undefeated because Bama needs that run. And by the way, if Bama plays Tennessee in the SEC championship, their spot is secure. Tennessee's spot, however, is less secure, but if they beat Georgia, they'll get in most likely. Like, would would three SEC teams can't make it, so Georgia would be the team on the out. But basically, there are three great teams in the SEC. There is Alabama, there is Tennessee, and there is Georgia. And assuming the Pac-12 is the AAC and they have no chance of making the playoff other than USC, who will probably fuck it up, and UCLA, who will probably fuck it up because it's the Pac-12, I don't even think that USC is bad. I think USC is just remarkably lucky and is undefeated because they can pad their schedule with a whole bunch of Arizonas and Arizona States and Washington States all throughout the season. They play Cal this year. They play Colorado this year. Like USC is going to USC should have lost to Oregon State and they will probably lose to someone, but if USC goes undefeated, they still might miss the college football playoff. Like there's a scenario USC could go undefeated and they will still miss the college football playoff because the Pac-12 is basically the AAC. Even over one lost champion, Bama, and one lost not conference champion, Tennessee. There's a scenario where USC will go undefeated and not make the college football playoff. Not a guarantee, but, you know, the, if they go undefeated and win the conference title, they may also need help in order to get into the playoff, which is kind of crazy to think about. But point still standing, ten, Alabama's hoping for a triangle of death so that they can run the table because their margin for error is gone. And Alabama is just such an interesting team this year, and it'll be interesting to... Because Alabama is not the dominant team that we've all come to watch and either root against or marvel or whatever you feel about Bama. Bama's the one thing in the sport that draws attention to them. When they're good, when they're bad, it's the Patriots of college football, and there's always going to be talking points around that. And so 
Alabama is going to be ranked sixth in the country, and as long as they run the table, they will get in. Will they run the table? They don't have the same horses that they've had in past years, which is really interesting to watch. And losing a coin flip game like this is something that happens every now and again to Bama. Bama has recovered from this and won national championships, plural. They have recovered from these types of losses to win multiple national championships. And at the same time, I just have expected a lot from Alabama, and what those expectations are doesn't always play out in reality. Like, being plus three on the turnover margin, committing 17 penalties, and giving up 52 points and losing to Tennessee because of poor clock management. Just something that I didn't really expect would happen. And uh, that Alabama can run the table and still be fine. What this now delivers is the need for a triangle of death, where Georgia beats Tennessee, and then they play Georgia in the SEC championship game, and Alabama will control its own destiny. It would just make for a really interesting conversation if you have undefeated Georgia, one loss Bama as a champion, and Tennessee whose only loss would be against Georgia. Because you can't put all three of them in the playoff, and that's the thing that sucks is that Tennessee... Tennessee has to play Georgia still, and I trust I trust Alabama to beat Georgia more than I trust Tennessee to beat them because even after the result today, I still can't get over the fact that Alabama is Alabama and their roster is more talented than Tennessee. And I, by the way, I said when we were talking to Razor Rosenthal on Wednesday, I'm feeling the urge to pick Tennessee. Am I crazy? No, I'm not. Alabama is not the same Alabama team that would be a 14-point favorite against Tennessee, but they're also not worse than Tennessee. No way you can walk away from that and say Alabama is worse than Tennessee. At best, you can say that they're equal to each other. There's no way you can say Alabama's worse than Tennessee coming out of that game. So they're still technically, by that standard, the second-best team in the SEC, but they also have no margin for error. And it means that there's now two must-watch games Coming down the stretch now, Alabama plays at Ole Miss on November 12th, and Tennessee plays at Georgia on November 5th. The same November 5th, Blake Jude and I will be doing our live show in Salt Lake City. So those are two games to add to your schedule of who could actually make it to the college football playoff. Because I assume Ole Miss is going to be undefeated by that point, and that's going to be a top seven matchup, and that's going to be fun to watch. And I know someone's going to mess up along the way, whether it's Michigan or Ohio State or Clemson. Someone's going to go undefeated and someone's going to get left out of the playoff because there's two teams in the SEC that belong in the playoff. And the path for Tennessee is still just so daunting. But even for Tennessee, like this is better than a championship. I'm going to say that right now. Like I know that's crazy to talk about, like beating your rival in that game is better because Tennessee can't win championships. That's just, it would have to be a magical lightning in a bottle situation like what happened at Clemson. It would have to be magical, like you you get another Peyton Manning would be the way for Tennessee to win a championship. We talk about this all the time. There's like 12 programs in college football that can win a national championship and like be a dynastic team. And... Tennessee is not one of them just because of the resources they have available, the teams that they play in their conference. I was saying the best case scenario for Tennessee is to go 10 and 2 and finish third in the SEC. That is your equivalent of a championship. And beating Alabama means that you like by best case scenario you're tied for second in the SEC and that's absolutely incredible. 
that's like above and beyond any of your greatest expectations and celebrate this like a championship. The way I celebrated the Padres beating the Mets like it was a championship. The way losers do it. Be a loser, Tennessee. Celebrate this and celebrate it well because your path to the playoff is so difficult. And if you keep moving the bar, it's going to make it a much less enjoyable experience. So this is your championship. Anything after this is gravy. That's the perspective I'm taking with my teams. That's how losers should be taking that perspective. This is your championship. This is your championship for 15 years of football. It will probably not get better than this. It might, and if it does, that's gravy on top. It's not going to be better than this. The emotional reaction, because rivalries matter so much in that sport, it's not going to be better than that one. It's not going to feel better than that victory. So congratulations to you. This is your championship, and uh, celebrate it like it's a championship because this is the again they've won a championship in 1998 and this might be a bigger moment in the history of Tennessee football because of what Alabama means because of not winning for 15 years and what that rivalry stacks up to ladies and gentlemen thank you for stopping in to wired up episode 126 We have just concluded 14 innings in Houston and Seattle and still have zero runs. So uh, I'm going to get off and catch the end of this game. The Yankees are beating Cleveland. Good on Aaron Judge and good on the Yankees so that we can get Yankees-Astros in the ALCS. I'm going to go watch the Padres try and close out the Dodgers because that's a thing that might actually happen tonight. Take it easy, everybody, and I'm going to try and listen to my own advice and take it easy through the Padres' chance to close out the Dodgers at home for Game 4. I'm going to do my best to take it easy.